Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us as we continue our series, Laugh Again. This week, lead pastor David Fossil asked the simple question, Are you stressed? In this lesson, taken from Philippians, we find that we can be too blessed to be stressed. Listen as Pastor Dave points out that stress impacts our minds, what we think, and it impacts our hearts, how we feel. As we look closely at what Paul had to say, we find some ways to deal with stress in a healthful way. So, so that was a German commercial. Did you catch what, what they were doing there? Those of you in the back may have not been able to read the words, but basically what they did is they got a photographer to take a picture of someone at the bus station or train station. They took it to the back office real quick. They printed it, put it on the front cover of a local newspaper. The person goes and sits right in front of them, opens the newspaper, waits for them to see their picture on the front page. Then they have a fake broadcast. Uh, uh, same picture. This is a wanted criminal. We're looking for them. They're dangerous. And then they had, they show up with two police officers. Officers, right? And the police officers come up and they ask one question. Are you stressed? And you saw their response. Well, yeah, I think so. And then they got this suitcase. They open the suitcase and then it kind of reveals what they're doing. Right. And they end up giving them, I think it was either a hand lotion or deodorant, which I think they should have given them like five grand to make them go through that or something like that. I'm not going to put you through any kind of a, t- you know, test or anything, but I'm going to ask you the same question. Are you stressed? Are you stressed? If we're honest, some of us would go, well, maybe not like right now, now, but I'm going through a stressful time in my life. I'm going through some issues. I'm going through uh, things that are stressful. Uh, the reason I ask you is because it's the very same issue, the very same question that Paul asks us. If we're going through the book of Philippians, we arrive in chapter four and the apostle Paul has a, a section where he deals with stress. So any one of us who are stressed or at some point in time going to be stressed, Paul says, I I can promise you that you will have ways to deal with and handle your stress in a healthy way. The the, the promise that he gives, that God gives us this morning, is found in chapter 4, verse 7. Here's what he said. Let me read it to you on the screen. The peace of God. That's the opposite of stress, right? Stress is being being agitated, you know, having you know our, our inside of us go like this. But the peace of God is calm, and it's still the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. In other words, if you're going through a situation, and and, and the world says you should be stressed out if you're going through that situation, but you'll have the peace of God, and it'll be such that the world will say it doesn't make sense. I don't understand how how you can be calm and at peace. In the midst of this situation and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When I'm stressed, when you're stressed, it impacts two areas. It impacts our minds, what we think, and impacts our hearts, how we feel. And God says to each one of us today, I can guard your heart and I can guard your mind and I can bring your stress level down. I can give you the peace of God. I I would imagine many of us would go, "I I want that. Uh, they didn't pull a prank on me like they, we saw on the screen, but, but I'm stressed and I, I could use that. I want to encourage you to grab the study guide that's in your program. There's four or five things we're going to look at. But before we jump into those verses, two, two things real quick. Number one, let's talk about uh, stress. Stress, not all stress is necessarily bad. We got to get this at the onset. Some stress is actually helpful and good. For example, um, you got Joy's guitars over here and you've got the strings and there's a level of tension 
There's a level of stress on these strings that make the guitar sound the way it does. Now, if I tighten these, eventually the string will pop. Now, if I loosen them, okay, and it's kind of floppy and it's not stress and, and there's not tension, two things will happen. One, Joy will be very, very upset at me. And two, the song at the end of the service is going to sound really sucky. Right. So some level of stress is good. Right. Uh, if you've ever played sports, you'll know that a, a good coach will know when to ratchet it up the tension because studies show that an increased level of tension and stress can actually produce superior athletic performance. Right. And so there's that that middle ground where you're trying to decide, you know, push hard enough to get them to have athletic performance, but not to push too much so that you break them. Right. If you have stress because you have an upcoming test, it's going to cause you to study. Right. Some level of stress is normal and even healthy. We're going to talk about the other kind of stress, the kind of stress that is unhealthy and, and, and unnatural and ungodly and, and not very good for us as people. Right. Let's talk before we jump into the verses about some of the causes of stress. See if you recognize any uh, overload. You know, it's one thing to work 45 hours a week. It's one thing to work 60 hours a week. But if you're doing that every week, it's not good. And some of you are working 60, 65 hours a week. And then you're going home and you got stuff and you go, you're having issues, you know, and you just it's just too much. And at some point in time, if, if, you, if the, 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 the needle on your car is always on the red when you're driving, that's not a good thing. You can't rev that engine that long, that fast, right? Change can be stressful. If you were ever a kid, do you remember changing schools? Remember that first day, how that felt? You don't know anybody. You don't know where this is at. Don't know where. It's stressful. It can be stressful until you make a couple friends. Changing jobs can be stressful. Moving across country and, and changing where you live. Change can be very, very stressful or the anticipation of change. Daily frustrations. It shouldn't be. But for some of us, daily frustrations is stressful. You know what I mean? That the, 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 the shower door that doesn't quite close right. You know, at home and it gets water all over. What is going on here? You know, that's that clicking sound in your car that won't go away. Right. There's always small little stressors in our life and they shouldn't or frustration. They shouldn't cause stress, but they do. Loss. Very stressful. You lose a loved one. Stressful. Um, you, you lose your job. Stressful. You lose your marriage. Stressful. Right. You lose your keys. Can be stressful. Right. It's a small thing, but it can be stressful. Sickness. If you're sick or someone close to you is sick, it can be very stressful. Speaking of, of creating stress and sickness, apparently I created some stress in some of you last week. You guys, when I had the video, you remember I was making that shake and I threw some berries in? I must have had like a dozen people come up to me. Pastor, pastor, do you know that that berries mix has hepatitis A? It's from Costco. It's, that's the one, right? And, and at the time of making the shake, I did not know that, right? But after like, you know, after the third person, this is what I would do when they would tell me. Because one, I already had the hepatitis A shot when I went to Africa, so I knew I was fine. But by the third person, this is what I would do when they would tell me. I said, really? Oh my, <coughs> I've not been <coughs> that great. And their eyes would get really big. It was really fun. Um, sickness can make you stressful traffic how many of you have a commute that's at least 20 minutes let me see your hands put them up be proud okay those of you who have these kind of of, of commutes can especially be susceptible to this but those of us who have short commutes can still be at the very least are you frustrated with some people driving 
Some people frustrate me, you know, and I came up with a solution. See what you guys think of my idea. I'm just trying to throw this out there. This is what we would do. The license plate on a car also is the same, is the, is also their cell phone number. So if they're driving you crazy, all you got to do is get off the road, you idiot. You know, and, and by the way, come to Bay Hills. We'd love to have you, you know, work both ways. It's just an idea. Let's put the next slide up here. Other things that cause stress, financial problems can be very stressful. Now, notice the next one. Not only bad things cause stress. Children can cause stress, especially if you're a young. Sounds like the Lord's really working on this side of the congregation over here. Um, Right. You know, a lot of young couples, um, when they have kids very, very soon after getting married, there's so much change. And then their schedule goes crazy. And, you know, there's a crying baby waking you up every hour in the middle of night. It's stressful at times. And then they get, you know, different times in their life and they're now they start to go on on their own. It can be you, you love your kids, but it can be very, very stressful. Right. Failure can be stressful. You, you fail on a team that you're on. You fail at something at work. Um, you fail a test. All right. Failure can be stressful. When you look back in your past, you have guilt. Guilt can be very stressful if you don't know how to handle it and know what to do with it. We already talked about it two weeks in a row. Paul says, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. And of course, certain people in family make you stressful. Do you have people in your life that make you stressful? Some of you are sitting right next to them. Isn't that a joy? Praise the Lord Jesus today. You know, (laughs) you know, what's interesting. What's interesting is the people you love the most at times also happen to be the people that stress you out the most. And it's not because something they, some, it's just because you're spending a lot of time with them. Now, the, the, the way to get over that is sometimes you have to change your own perspective. You got to chill out a little bit and realize you are not God's gift to mankind, one, right? And, and sometimes they need to change a little bit. But people can cause stress. That's why, you know, Christmas tends to be some of the most fun and stressful times because you're getting together with family in a small apartment. Someone's sleeping on the futon and when can I get in the bathroom? It's stressful, right? Let's put the next slide up there. What other causes stress? If you're the pastor of a church without a permanent building, that can cause stress. Trust me, I know about that. (laughs) What are we going to do? Are we going to go? This is interesting. Big special events cause stress. When I am counseling couples and doing premarital counseling and they're getting ready for their, you know, their, 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 the day when they say I do, here's what's interesting. The day, their wedding day, which should be the happiest or one of the happiest days of their life, at times also becomes one of the most stressful days of their life. Have you ever seen or experienced this? And here's what happens. It's important. It's special. So let's work really, really hard to do that and make it cool. And then you go from wanting to make it special to wanting it to be perfect. And then if you want it to be perfect, then you're a perfectionist. That means when an usher does something or someone sits in the wrong sector, you get all upset. And it's stressful. And, and, and you've got to be very, very careful about those big special events. It could be something at work. It could be whatever it is, right? Deadlines can be stressful. You know, uh, a paper you got to turn in, a work project. You got to be out of this building by December. Deadlines can be stressful, right? And conflict and problems can be stressful. I end with that one because that's where Paul begins this morning. If you have a study guide, here's the first thing I want you to write down. If you're dealing with stress, the first thing you need to do is learn how to face your conflicts and deal with them in a healthy fashion. I'm going to read the first couple verses uh, of Philippians chapter 4. 
starting in verse 2, and then we're going to identify a couple things. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche. To be of the same mind, please agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, be my true, my true companion. Help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, there's a couple things that I want to identify for you. Let me show you. Let's put them up on the screen. First of all, identifying the two names of these women, Yodia and Syntyche. They are both part of this church called the Church of Philippi. Now, if you're just joining us, let me tell you something about the church of Philippi. One thing you need to know, it was Paul's favorite church. He digged this church. He loved this church. Every time he had a free weekend, I'm going to the church of Philippi. He loved this church. It was a strong, healthy church. Now, why am I saying this? I'm saying this because apparently one of the things that we learn is that you can be a strong, healthy church, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're exempt of conflict because they had tremendous amount of conflict between these two people. These two women, Iodia and Syntyche, were at each other's throat. And that's one thing you have to know about being part of a, a family called Bay Hills. We're heading in the right direction. We're doing some good things. That does not mean we are exempt of conflict. And the issue is how are we going to deal with it? How are you going to deal with it relationally or when there's ministry issues? It's going to come up. It's part of being alive, okay? Now, how you deal with it. Two things we know about these women based upon this passage. The last phrase, their names are in the book of life. You know what that means? It means they're Christians. They're Christians. These aren't, these aren't you know, pagan, unsaved, ungodly people that just popped into church one weekend. No, no, no. These are Christians. They're saved. You're going to spend eternity with them in heaven. You know what they say about other Christians to live above with saints. We know that or to love that will be grace and glory to live below with saints. We know that's another story. (laughs) Do you know any Christians that are like heavenly sandpaper? You know what I mean? Jesus loves you. You're going to be in heaven, but I don't like you much. You just rub me the wrong way. You know, there there are people and sometimes it's a personality thing. Uh, sometimes you're too, very, very different. Sometimes you're too much alike. You know, um, sometimes Christians don't get along. You know, the other thing we know is that uh, th- these aren't just kind of sit on the sidelines and watch church happen. You know, uh, these are people based upon this, the, the middle phrase contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. These were big time volunteers. Some even say that they may have been even leaders in the church. Right. When when Paul was at Philippi, uh, you know, they were doing a VBS. They were doing a Bible study. They were doing an outreach campaign. There you had Iodia, Syntyche, the husbands, the families all working alongside. These were top notch people in the church. But right here, they can't get along. They are not getting along. What we don't know is what the problem is. It doesn't say it, does it? It doesn't tell us what the issue is. Could be anything. It could be that, that Yodia wanted, wanted choir robes all the way down to the ankles, and Syntyche said, no, let's take them to the knees, and they got at each other. Maybe one of them was into speaking in tongues, and one of them was not into speaking in tongues. Maybe something happened in women's ministry, and one of them wanted to do one thing, and one wanted to do another thing. And maybe they both had kids in youth group, and they had a spat. They were calling the youth pastors and youth leaders, and they had a big powwow. Maybe it had something to do with Bible study. Syntyche shared something about Iodia in a prayer request form. You know how that is, right? She didn't like it. Shut up. Keep your mouth shut. You know, maybe it had nothing to do with church. Nothing to do with church. Maybe one of them was a Raider and the other one was a Niner. 
Maybe, maybe one of them voted for Obama and the other one wanted, you know, was a Republican. We don't have a clue. See, the issue that they were arguing about is not the issue. The issue is that they had conflict and it was creating stress. It was creating stress. One of the things that I find interesting <laughs> is that he calls them out by name. He could have been so diplomatic, couldn't he? He could have said, I hear that some of you are having some issues and problems. <laughs> right? But, I mean, he's been reading about this on Facebook all the way in Rome, and he knows, my goodness gracious, this is a problem. Right? Can you imagine how that Sunday must have gone? I do. Right. The pastor's up front. He's doing announcements. Yeah, we got a picnic coming up next weekend and he's doing announcements and he sees he sees that the courier, the FedEx courier riding the bike that only delivers on Sundays. You got to pay a big price for that. He comes panting in. He talks to the head usher. He's got a parchment. He's got a manuscript and he won't just sign it off to the head usher. Oh, no, this requires the senior pastor's signature. So he goes back and he and he signs it off. And and right away, he he starts calling some 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 of the elders. And they open it up and they're looking at it. They're examining it. And finally, the pastor comes to the front and he speaks to the congregation. He says, we've authenticated it. It's from Paul. And everybody's like, oh. Pastor says, I'm going to scrap the sermon. We're just going to read what Paul said to us. And they read chapter one about healthy relationships. And they, they read chapter two about imitating Christ and having humility. And they read chapter three about what it means to, to deal with difficult circumstances. And then they get chapter four. Bam! Paul says, please, Iodia, right over, yeah, you right over there. And Syntyche, you guys got to work it out. Can you imagine being their husbands? Oh, God. <laughs> their kids. You know, some visitors like, Who's Syntyche? She's right over there. <laughs> He's, he just throws him under the bus, right? By the way, he says, uh, please help them. Implication, they, they can't work it out on their own. Have you ever gotten to that point with someone? You, you just, and he says, help them. By the way, when he says help them, who's he talking to? Not the pastor. He's talking to you. One of the biggest mistakes we make in church is thinking that when something goes wrong or there's a problem, let's find the elder, let's find the pastor, let's find the staff member. No, you heard about it. They're your friends. You do something about it. Why do you think you're here? Help them. And uh, He pleads. You know what that means? I, I'm begging you. I'm begging you. Please, someone help them. Now, here's the discernment and wisdom you've got to use. When you're dealing with friends or issues or family members that have conflict, think of conflict like fires. You have to identify what kind of fire is it. There are still some beaches that you can make a fire, right? Not a lot, but some. You know that fire on that beach? You just sit around, someone's playing the guitar, you're roasting marshmallows. If you leave that fire alone, what happens to that fire eventually? It goes out. There are some conflicts, there are some disagreements that are like that. Just let them be. You know, they both had a bad day. Just let them be. They'll be fine. It'll die out. Just give it some time, right? And then there are other fires that are like forest fires in Southern California. And if you don't do something about it, it's going to burn, you know, 100,000 acres and 350 homes. Which, what is it more like? You have to identify that. You have to have the wisdom to decide. Now, our instinct, honestly, 
Our instinct normally is to do nothing, wash our hands. I don't, don't do anything. Don't say, I don't want to get in the middle of that. Have you ever thought when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, that peacemakers, when I watch TV, CNN, the peacemakers, you know, the UN, UN guys with the, what is it, light blue hats, they're always in the middle of war. Peacemakers aren't just sitting around, you know, you know, eat, eating, eating donuts and, and, you know, slipping on a slurpee and nothing's going. No, they're right in the middle of the conflict. And God is calling some of you to be peacemakers and to help brothers and sisters in Christ that aren't getting along. Why? Because it's causing stress. It's causing stress. That's the big deal. Let's put the next slide up there. When you don't deal with conflict, it affects unity and it creates stress. How, how did it work out for those of you who grew up in a home where, where dad hit mom? Where there was constant arguing and yelling? Not fun, was it? It was stressful. How, do, how is it working out for those, uh, those that have jobs where you go to the office or you go to the shop or wherever it is that you walk and there's constant bickering and there's constant backstabbing? Do you enjoy that? No. It's stressful. Have you ever been part of a church that the minute you walk in the, in the doors you hear about something going on with the youth group and something going on with the deacons and something going on between the pastor and some? There's always something not too fun to be part of those kind of churches why because conflict unresolved conflict can create stress if you have an unresolved conflict with someone and you see them by accident what happens immediately like it's stress it's unresolved conflict the other thing from the context of us as a family as a church is that it affects our unity unity is something that takes a long time to build up but you can lose it in an instant. It's not all agreeing on the same thing. It's, it, it's, being, it's going in the same direction, essentially. Now, there are some things as a church we are not united on and we don't care. Really, let me give you a, an example. We have absolutely no unity when it comes to how we dress on Sunday morning. Have you noticed that? We don't care. Some people can dress up. Some people can wear shorts and flip-flops. Whatever you want to do, we're good with. We're not going to establish. By the way, there are some churches that if you're not dressed appropriately, they will tell you. Right? We, we don't care about that. There are other things we make a big deal about. And I'm going to tell you now. I'm going to take you on just a little tangent. Three things we are very united on. Let me show you. Let's put it on the screen. One is theological unity. What do we doctrinally agree on on this book some things we do we, we don't have unity and we're fine with it for example um what's going to happen when jesus comes back is there going to be a rapture is there going to be tribulation how long is going to be the tribulation we don't care one person says one person one says another thing one says another thing we just agree he's coming back there are some people that believe in speaking in tongues and those that don't speak in tongues now we're not one of those churches that does it on sunday morning but there are people in this church that have the gift of speaking in tongues and we're fine with that we don't have unity in this, and we're fine. There are some things we're not going to argue on, right? There are some people that like to have a beer with their pizza, and some people that don't think that that's right. We're not going to argue about it. You're not allowed, no, because biblically, you can kind of go both ways there. What are we absolutely committed to when it comes to theological and doctrinal unity? Two things, Jesus and the Bible. Who was Jesus? What did he do? And why does it matter? We will die on that hill. It's that big of a deal. And the second thing is the authority of this book, the Bible. The authority 
in this church does not come from Pastor Dave. It does not come from the staff. It does not come from the elder board. The authority in this church comes from this book. And that's why I tell you, open your Bibles to at the very least, I put the verses on the screen. Why? Because I never want you to believe what I say just because I'm saying it. It has to be based upon this book. Why? Because whether it's at this church or another church, whether intentionally or unintentionally, some pastor someday is going to say something and it doesn't quite match what this book says. And if you have that alternative, every time, every day, you go with this book. That's the theological unity we have. Philosophical unity, what does that have to do? Style and strategy. We have a unique style here. If you haven't picked it up by now, when it comes to style, we are probably never going to have a handbell choir at Christmas. <laughs> dong, dong. Not going to have that. We're probably not going to have a choir at all. Pastor's never going to wear a robe. Unless it's one of those like Jedi robes or something like that. I'll wear that one. <laughs> that would be cool. Okay, we have a unique style. Now, if you grew up uh, or you really like what's called high church, it's very liturgical. You know, we're not going to have probably organs and quiet music. We're not going to have that. I'm not saying that that's wrong or bad. But here's what I am saying. If that's what you're into, certain stylistic things, instead of trying to wiggle your room, wiggle in and change everyone's mind, which isn't going to happen, it's better for you to just find another church right now. Because we are tight when it comes to this issue, when it comes to strategy and style. And, and we're not saying we got the best strategy. I, I will for the first to say that or the best style. But we are saying that's who we are. And we've thought it through, right, in terms of why we are and why we do what we do. The other one is a big word, but just as important, missiological unity, which I, answers the question, what is the mission and what is the purpose of this church? Why do we do church? Very simple. To help everybody that includes you and me. Everybody take their next step closer to Jesus. Every single one of you, including myself, has to take a next step closer to Jesus. Some of you, you know what your next step is? Baptism. You're just putting it off. And God reminded you of it again when two people did what you should be doing. For some of you, it's picking this book up on a daily basis and reading it. For some of us, it's stopping a certain sin. It, I don't know what it is. Every one of us has a next step, and that's what you've got to figure out. Now, just as important, it's not about just you, us, taking the next step. It's really about the people that aren't even in this church taking the next step, their first step to Jesus. Now, these are the things, quote-unquote, we argue about nicely, but these are big deals to us. All the other things were like, whatever. You want to wear sandals? You're, that's cool. You know, this is a big deal. But now getting back to conflict, not only does it affect unity, it creates stress. You know why some of you are stressed? And I'm spending a little time here because my conviction is that this is what more of us need to hear more than all the other four points. Some of you are stressed because you have unresolved conflict and have made absolutely no attempt to try and rebuild, restore, and reconciliate. None whatsoever. That's why you're stressed. Now, when it comes to stress, I, I can't spend much more time on this. I'm going to give you one more thing. Let me show you. Put it up there. Focus on reconciliation instead of resolution. Ideally, you get both. But if you have to choose, you choose reconciliation. Now, let's identify the differences between the two. Resolution is when the problem or the issue is solved. So you disagree with someone, you talk it out, and you come to an agreement. 
The problem is that's not always going to happen. The second Corinthians, Paul calls us to the ministry of reconciliation. The, 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 The problem isn't solved, but the relationship is restored. Like I said, ideally you get both, but many times if you have to pick, all you're going to get is the top one. Now let me give you an example, right? Uh, my good friend, Terrence Green, right over here, I've known him for eight years. He's our pastor of young adults. I love that man, right? It uh, might be a little awkward to mention a little publicly, but he and I have a significant disagreement. Significant. Let me explain to you what it is. He actually, you're not going to believe this, he actually loves the Los Angeles Lakers, I despise them. I despise them so bad, right, that when I get as much joy out of watching them lose as watching the Warriors win. When the Lakers got knocked out of the playoffs, you know what I did at a quarter to 11 at night? Texted him. I know it wasn't godly, but it felt very, very good. I wanted him to know that I knew his team was out. (laughs) Okay, now I'm having a little fun with this, but I'm being serious. If we sit down with a therapist for two hours, are we going to have resolution? No. He's always going to love the Lakers. If we go to the prayer room and they put uh, anointing oil on us and lay hands and pray for us, are we going to have resolutions? No, I'm never going to like the Lakers. But we better have reconciliation. And we can chuckle about Lakers and Warriors and... That really doesn't matter compared to some life issues. Now take that one issue with your sister, your brother, your uncle, your parent, your close friend, someone at the church. And you're focusing at the bottom of the screen. You're trying to get to this issue solved. And I'm telling you, it may not happen. It might not ever happen. You best still focus on the top of the screen. God is calling you towards reconciliation and you can have a healthy relationship with him. I realize it takes some of you and some of them. But you got to take a step. You got to take a step. Second thing I want to encourage you to write down. We'll go through the rest a little quicker is learn to always enjoy life. Always enjoy life. Verse four and five. Rejoice in the Lord always. And in case we missed it, he says it again. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near always. How the heck am I going to do always? Pastor, does, pastor doesn't know what I'm going through. I do not like my job. I got a long commute. I work in a cubicle. My coworkers are strange. I can't even watch the office. It's too close to home. Always. <laughs> Always. Part of it is that we don't understand the difference between, uh, between joy and happiness. Ha- happiness is what happens to me. Now, I, I love happy. You, I, I like to be happy. Happiness is based upon how your kids are doing. It's based upon how your favorite sports team is doing. It's based upon how much money you have in your bank account or your wallet. It's based upon what vacation you're going on this summer. Based upon what car car you drive, what house you live in. Uh, It's based upon what happens to you. And the reality is that sometimes not good things happen to us. But he's not calling you to be happy always. No, he's saying, I want you to have joy always. Happiness is what happens around me. Joy is what happens inside of me. That's why he says, rejoice in the Lord. My life can be falling apart from the outside and I, you know, I've got issues, but what God is doing on the inside of me is good. Rejoice in the Lord always. If you have some, by the way, to the naked eye, sometimes they look the same. If you're watching someone, you're not necessarily sure. Are they happy? Are they joyful? You don't have to figure it out, but you have to figure it out for yourself. Got to figure it out. By the way, If you do have more joy in your life, two things will be true. 
you'll learn to smile more and laugh harder. That's the whole, t- the whole title of the series, Laugh Again. Proverbs chapter 17, let me just read verse 22 to you. Just listen. A cheerful heart is good medicine. For the longest time, we read that verse and we thought, yeah, Solomon's just trying to say you should smile more. You do know that recently medical metal experts experts have, have said that that no, that that is actually medical truth. That something happens in our bodies chemically when we laugh and it creates a healing, even therapeutic thing in our bodies. So much so John Hopkins Hospital was the first of hospitals to use humor as a therapy. And they have patients watching. This is years ago. I love Lucy, Candid Camera and Three Stooges in their recovery. Wilcox Memorial Hospital in Hawaii. When people are recovering they, uh, from surgeries, they give them DVDs of stand-up comedians. There's a Catholic church in Texas where nuns are assigned and expected to tell jokes and funny stories to the patients. I want to have surgery there. Just because I want a nun to walk in my hospital, my room and say... Okay, there was an ostrich and a duck that walked into a bar, and the bartender said to the ostrich, I just want to hear that from a nun. <laughs> why do we think, why do we think that uh, if you're really godly, you're really serious? Where, where did that come from? You know, I don't... So, <laughs> it sounds like the Lord speaking over here, but I don't... <laughs> I uh, I remember going to church. Remember going to church? Stop running in church. Stop running. Be quiet. <laughs> Maybe it came from the 1500s. In the 1500s, 1514, a forgery was published in Venice, Italy, claiming to be a story or description of Jesus. Shortly thereafter, it was proven to be a hoax, but that book was circulated throughout Europe. In that book, the following statement was found. No man has ever seen Jesus laugh. And whether you've heard of that book or not, there's something within some Christians and some churches that make us assume that you've got to be serious to be godly. Now, certainly there are times not to goof off, right? But we should be the most joyful people on earth. We should be. Part of it is, I don't think, we, we actually think, well, maybe you know, Jesus was really serious. Actually, we know for a fact that he has a tremendous sense of humor. You go, what? Just read the Gospels. You go, I, I've not heard it, seen any jokes in there. They're everywhere. See, we just don't realize there are styles of humor. For example, British humor right now is very dry, right? It's, it's a style of humor. I grew up going to a British school and it's very, very dry. There are comedians today that use physical humor. Chris Farley was great at physical humor. He'd be walking and falling on a coffee table, splitting. We'd bust a gut laughing, right? Physical humor. You want to know what Palestinian humor, Jewish humor was in those days, 2,000 years ago? You know what it was? It was exaggeration. So when someone would make a statement and exaggerate, everybody would laugh. So when you read the Gospels and Jesus says something like this, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, then for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, two things are happening. One, he's making a point, And two, everyone in the crowd is going, that Jesus is a funny guy. <laughs> he's hilarious. 
We just don't see it like that. Honestly, some of us, we got to learn to smile more. I know, I know we've got, I know we've got issues. I'm not pretending and wanting you to pretend that some of the things going on are, are good. That's not what it's saying. We've got to learn to laugh harder. By the way, I'll move on real quickly after that. It's one of the reasons this is my favorite picture of Jesus. Let's put it up there. It's called the laughing Jesus. You know, we see pictures of Jesus like passion of the Christ and he's on the cross. And those are all good too. They, but you know, I don't know. I just imagine Jesus walking, you know, seven, seven hours, because that's what it was between towns, walking, and he's goofing off with Peter, and they're having fun, and, you know, they're playing practical jokes on each other. I think Jesus loved life. He loved life. You know, is there times to be serious? Absolutely. But there's also times to smile and to laugh. Third thing I want to encourage you to do, Paul says, is turn your back on worry and anxiety. Turn your back on worry and anxiety. Do not be anxious or worry about anything. He just told us, be joyful about everything. Don't worry about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. What is worry? What's the definition for worry? Worry is when you think of the worst case scenario and freak out about it. That's worry. You think about the worst possible scenario and you freak out about it. Let me give you some statistics Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the United States of America with 40 million, 18.1% of the adult U.S. population affected. One in five of us, according to therapists, have an anxiety disorder. It costs the United States more than $42 billion a year, almost one-third of the total mental health bill. See, it's not just therapists and counselors that are saying that worry and anxiety isn't good for you. Jesus said it wasn't good for you. I don't have the time to really break it down, but real quickly, Matthew chapter 6, right in the middle of the, uh, of the Great Commission. Let's put it up there. Three things about worry. Worry is, number one, unreasonable. When you think about worry, it really doesn't make sense. Jesus asks the question, isn't life more important than some of the things you are worrying about? Really, the things you are worrying about. Can't you see that there's so much more important things in life? The English word worry, I don't know if you know this, comes from the German word worgen, which means to choke and strangle. And isn't that what worry does to you? It chokes and strangles the life right out of you. And if you live with someone who have a problem with worry, you're choking the life out of them. It's no fun. Worry is also unproductive. Jesus asked, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Some research has been done on worry. 40% of what we worry about never happens. We just make it up in our head. It never happens. 30% concerns the past. Can't change that. 20% of what we worry about is needless concern about the health, our, our health. Now, there are some reasonable concerns about our health. But 12% are needless concerns about our health. 10% of what we worry about are small, petty issues. And only 8% of what we worry about, only 8% are legitimate concerns. It's like the hypochondriac who wrote on her tombstone, I told you I was sick. She could have worried about something. (laughs) Peter says in chapter 5, verse 7, God says, cast all your anxiety on me because I care for you. What are you stressed about? What's popping in your head? What are you stressed about? What are you worried about? Y- 
he gives, gives us a solution. If you go back to Philippians, he tells us, don't be anxious about anything. And then he adds, but by prayer, by prayer, two kinds of prayer, petition, he says, and thanksgiving. If instead of just focusing on all the things that are not going well in your life, you take a moment to focus on the good things in your life, that's called thanksgiving. Thank you, God, for. It's amazing how some of those other things fade away. And then by petition, what are you worried about? Tell them. You want to know one of the most godly things some of you could do right after the service? I know we're going over a little bit. One of the most godly things, instead of rushing out to lunch, you could take three minutes, go to the prayer room right over there, and tell someone what you're stressed about, what's on your mind, what's heavy on your heart, and say, could you pray with me for just a couple minutes? They're not going to take 45 minutes, just two or three minutes. I, I don't know why more of us don't do it. I don't know if it's pride or I don't know what it is. I'm just telling you. Paul says, do you want to deal with stress and worry? Pray about it. Pray about it. Give it to God. Don't worry about it. Pray about it. Step number four, be positive in your thought life. I, I don't know if I've told you, but these verses in chapter four are some of the most memorized verses in the entire Bible. This verse right here, chapter four, verse eight, is one of the top 20 most memorized verses in the Bible. It's that big of a deal. Hint, hint, maybe some of us should memorize it. It's that powerful. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, if it's noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure or lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything, anything is excellent or praiseworthy, I want you to think about those things. If I was in the backseat of your car eating a Big Mac and I was leaving ketchup stains on and, and when we were done, you know, I just left all my garbage there. What would you think? If I went into your living room, right, and had a big garbage bag and emptied it out on your living room floor, coffee grinds and banana peels and spaghetti there from three days ago and just emptied it out and God bless you. You would not be very happy, would you? And yet some of us allow the TV or music or magazines or people to dump garbage into your mind, something far more valuable than a living room floor. And I don't get it. You, you do realize how powerful your thoughts are. Because what you think ends up determining who you become. He, here's how Solomon says it in, in the book of Proverbs. I put that verse up there. Chapter 23, verse 7. As a man thinks within himself, so is he. What does this mean? Here's what it means. Let me put it up on the screen. Whatever it is you think will determine how you feel. And whatever you feel will eventually decide how you, what you do and what you say. You want to control what you say, what you feel, uh, what you do and what you say? You got to you got to go back to your thought life. Some of us are stressed because we're just negative. Or we got garbage in our mind that we ought not be putting in our mind. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10 that you you literally have to take your thoughts captive. Think of what a police officer does with a criminal. Literally puts them in handcuffs. You have to have a filter in your mind. And when something comes in your mind, you have to put it through the filter. 
And the filter test is, is it good? Is it honorable? Is it trustworthy? Is it praiseworthy? All those things in verse 8. And if it's not, you handcuff, handcuff that sucker. And you basically, you, you can't like kick it out because sometimes you, it'll still stay in your mind. But you're saying, I'm not going to let it affect how I feel. And I'm certainly not going to let it affect what I do and say. It's called filtering your mind and taking those thoughts captive. Identify them as untrue and ungodly and do not act on them. Don't allow them to impact your feelings. Some of us are stressed because we are not filtering our mind. And we are negative, negative, negative. And you've got to turn that switch. Last thing. We're going to wrap it up. Apply God's word. Whatever you've learned or received or heard or seen in me, put it into practice. Put it into practice. I think it's rather interesting. So many of us come on Sunday morning. We take notes. We listen to the story. We laugh at the jokes. We say, amen. That was a good sermon. We walk out of here and do nothing. That's the reality of what some of us do. If you do nothing, you will eventually have heartache and headaches. And Paul says, I'm not trying to be the religious police here. I'm just saying, if you apply this book, if you just do what it says, you remember when we talked about hugging vampires and difficult people in our life? Did you do anything that you agreed on? Have you forgive, get forgiven people? Are you controlling your anger? Are you loving more? Are you realizing that you can be a vampire and suck life out of people? What did you do with the five steps to destroy a life? Are you handling your marriage? Are you building your faith? What are you doing with what you're learning in Philippians? If you're not applying it, you're not going to have stress-free living. If you do apply it, here's the promise. It's right at the end of verse nine. And the God of peace will be with you. It's really rather simple. Do it, and your stress is minimized. Don't do it, and now you not only have life stress, now you have spiritual stress on top of it. So it's real simple. Paul says, just whatever you learn, do something. Do something. So let's do something. Here's our summary slide. I'm going to have you pick one. If you're stressed today, some of us aren't, it's because we're not dealing with conflict. You've got to take a step to try and bring reconciliation. Now, if they don't want to, it's on them. But you have to make that attempt. Some of us, you gotta, you got to learn to smile more. Just learn to smile. I know there's issues. I got that. Some of us need to stop worrying. It's not a condition to be managed. It's a sin to be confessed. I don't, we, it's one of the most accepted sins in, in the church. This is what, what, we, what do we say to our kids? You really have to start worrying about what you're going to do when you move out. I know if you're using the word not the way the Bible uses it, maybe you need to find another word. Worry is not a good thing. Some of us got to control our thinking and be more positive. And many of us, probably all of us, have to spend some more time applying God's word. I'm going to have you give you five seconds, ten seconds. I want you to pick one. Look at that screen. Pick one. Okay, let's stand. We'll close in a word of prayer and I'll let you get going. Thanks for being patient, guys. Heavenly Father, the reality is that some of us here um, have anxiety and stress in our life and difficult situations. Father, we don't want to minimize them. We know that you don't. Um, Father, you've, it, God's word is so incredibly practical. And today you've given us some very, very specific things to do. 
Father, I pray that you would nail and cement one of those things into our brain, that we would apply it, realizing that you do not call us to live a life that is full of stress. But you live us to give us a life that has the peace of God that passes all understanding. Father, that's what we want. That's what we're going to strive for. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people say. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.